This recording is from Fintech Nexus USA, formerly known as London Fintech USA, held at the Javits Center in New York City on May 25th to 26th, 2022. It's from the track Credit and Underwriting, AI, More Data, and Better Tools, sponsored by Trust Science and is titled Modern Approaches to Launching New Lending Products. Speaking on this session are Eddie Oysteiger from Peach Finance, John Scrafano from Remitly, with moderator Hal Bienstock from Prozac Partners. Thanks everyone for joining us. I'm Hal Bienstock from Prozac Partners. We're a strategic communications and marketing firm focused on the financial services and fintech sector. Um, and I'm going to start by um, letting our panel introduce themselves, Eddie. Oh, I'm John Scrafano. I'm from um, Remitly. I'm a VP of product there, uh, specifically within the new products. Just appreciate you all showing up at 5.05 p.m. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah, we got this is a little bit of the back of the bus crowd. I can tell everyone's hanging out there. We'll try to keep it exciting for you and, until 5.30. Eddie and I are going to get in some fights up here. <laughs> no, we're not. All right. Yeah, we truly appreciate you coming like so late, but I'm Eddie Oistach. I'm co-founder and CEO of Peach. And uh, hopefully you will enjoy the session and feel free to ask us tough questions as we go through. I'd like to begin just by asking all of you to introduce yourselves as well with a show of hands. Um, can you raise your hand if you're a fintech entrepreneur out there? Okay, great. Um, what about people from an established player, an incumbent? And anyone who um, is an analyst or a member of the media? Okay, only a couple of those. Um, so let me start with you, Eddie. I, I guess when it comes to creating um, a modern lending program, the age-old question is buy or build. Um, is that even the right way to think about it anymore? Yeah, that's totally still a right way to think about it. And just a little bit of history, like um, about like 10, 15 years ago, people used to build in-house lending solutions or partner with like what we call today a legacy platform. None of those options are anymore ever, like basically legit today because like of adaptivity and the continuous market change in so conditions. Um, as, a, as basically as a fintech, for example, like your advantage is knowledge of your customers, right? That's what you should be focused on. Like that's where you should be building application, underwriting, and you basically should market additional product to your customers because acquisition of the customers is the most expensive side of, of your business. What is kind of like less of your advantage of like your core is basically the loan management and servicing. That's where you don't really have to differentiate if you're using the right lender. So to say that like is is basically uh, another was saying like some parts of it you should keep in house, but when it comes to like lending and servicing like platform, that's where you should really consider to outsource. Uh, a small warning to that is like there's a lot of new players that provide small pieces of lending stack. So you just also don't want to end in a position where you're piecemealing a lot of different platforms and creating your own like Frankenstein solution, which is going to be also inflexible. So you need to find the right balance, like who, you, who you're choosing, what partners. And that's, that's basically the, 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 what we, we believe in. And John, when it comes to building a lending program, um, what, what kind of testing and learning is required to make sure that a modern lending program remains modern over time? 
Yeah, I think that's a great question. And let me give you a little context on who Remitly is so you um, know how we're thinking about this. So Remitly is a large remittance company. We help immigrants send money home to their families, typically from developed nations to developing nations. We love this customer base. We're, um, you know, in, in many send countries, both in the United States, Europe, and other parts of the world, um, and over 100 received countries. Uh, but as our vision is to transform the lives of immigrants and their families through trusted financial services, um, you know, our, our vision is really around a full suite of financial products for our customers. So that's going to include lending, right? That's that's going to include lending into this space. Um, we've got a lot of expertise in the fintech world, and as we're coming into the lending space, you know, when we think about what what do modern approaches look like in lending, again, I'm going to give you from the from the product experience in particular, and to kind of piggyback a little bit on what Eddie said is, um, we look at taking a, a really granular view of the um, essentially entire stack, and what is it that we're going to be really good in, right? So you want to control the customer experience. We want a good serviceable. Experience experimental area, and we want to know where we have sustainable customer advantage. And for us, the sustainable customer advantage looks like we have the brand, we have the relationship with the customer, we have unique customer data in the remittances and some of the KYC and identity things. There's another other bunch of spaces that we have unique customer data in. We have global licensing, and then, of course, we have the actual cross-border aspect of it. So as we pull all of those things together, um, you know, for us, what that looks like is what do we build and what do we buy in those specific areas, but the modern approach is really around flexibility, right? So where is it that we're going to need to experiment? And so we want to build the stack that allows us to own the experimentation so that we can figure out product market fit, so that we can figure out scale, so that we can figure out unit economics, um, so that we can figure out how to how to get the right products to the right customers. And then, you know, we, we buy the parts of the stack that we don't think we're going to do nearly as well. And that's part of the reason that we've partnered with Peach on that front. Right. So you talked about the advantages of focusing on a very specific audience, right? What are some of the challenges of focusing on a specific audience, like like immigrants? Yeah, so I, I think that it's a trade-off really around like total addressable market and product, right? We focus on an immigrant, and immigrants, by the way, are not homogenous in any way, shape, or form, right? Very, very different groups of immigrants. Um, I think one of the cool things is when you focus deep on a specific customer segment, so like one of the customer segments that we focus on, um, it, uh, you know, our folks like in the United States um, that come from Mexico, right? That is a specific customer segment. What are the things that that specific customer segment needs? Once we get to know that customer really deeply, we can build a product that's 10 times better than what anybody else has for them. But, but the challenge and the trade-off there is then, okay, how much of that is addressable to Filipinos, in the United Kingdom and to Indians in Canada. And so for us, the trade-off always comes in that tension of, okay, we love the niche customer because we can build something really amazing for them, but but is the total addressable market big enough? And now that we're a public company, like we we can't um, and we shouldn't, you know, like mess around with super ultra niche markets. We've got to be able to go impact the lives of a lot of people. So I think that's the trade-off that, that comes with those two. Okay. And Eddie, from your perspective, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see when people are trying to build out a new lending product? That there are many mistakes, but uh, let, let me try to listen a lot. We're about to make a lot of them, I think. Yeah. And we, we, we have to help you guys. Uh, so what we see is like, uh, in general, like, you know, lending is complex. There is no like shortcuts. Like if you're going into lending, you're committed. Like you're committed like at least to like, it takes about like, 12 to 18 months at the minimum to understand if this program is working or not. Assuming you have like, you know, not, I'm not talking about mortgages, mostly talking about the like consumer non-mortgage like uh, products. And, you, and the common mistake is like that people uh, th that we basically see like is people treat it as 
basically like something that is seems to be too simple. So um, if you, for example, like decided to build in-house solution, you dedicating your team to something specific. What if it doesn't work like in nine months? Then you need to go back to your team and say like, whoa, this is not working. You guys need to rebuild. So it will take you another like six to nine months just to make another build. That's kind of like if you decided to build in-house. If you are using legacy vendor, like a provider that is not flexible, first of all, like it will take you about 100 to 200K to change your initial configurations like that you ask them. And they will take them like nine to 15 months to deliver it. So now you're basically sitting and you cannot iterate, you cannot learn anything. And in addition of that, like the type of products that you issued already in the previous version, you still need to maintain them in your platform. So now it's becoming 2X and double complex solution. Um, that's kind of like what we, what in, in general, when people think about like this. Uh, le lastly, let's say your program is successful, right? You see like a good attraction. What we see is like people not basically thinking about uh, servicing at scale at the right time. So they basically miss this opportunity because eventually once your volume scaled, you're going to have a lot of exceptions. And then throwing humans in them is going to be really like non-scalable. And if you miss this point where you need to switch for scalability to the right platform, for example, or you need to address it early on, that's where it's going to eventually bite you like. And that's what the common mistakes we see like. Yeah, Let me just yeah add to that, which is um, you know coming into fintech four years ago, uh, that was one of the biggest and one of the reasons that we had Hal ask kind of like who in here is an entrepreneur or not is I I did not have a very good appreciation coming into the business. Uh, I came from a like a very very agile product startupy world like in e-commerce, right? And in e-commerce you can experiment at very high levels and there's not a lot of cost to do the experimentation. And we I'm coming into a heavily regulated space and lending's even more regulated than some of the other areas that we've been in and just adjusting to both the compliance and the cycle times. Um, and so when Eddie talks about like, when you're making a bet, you can't just like swap out of that bet immediately. Or uh, I think one of the things, you know, we talk about internally is what's the time to market versus the essentially the time to scale and, and really make a really big product. And sometimes you can get faster time to market by making a bunch of these shortcuts, but your overall time to having built a really large business actually is longer because of not making some of these uh, essentially this, this, the, these trade-offs with like, where do we want to build a platform or buy platform pieces that allow us to experiment in a compliant way quicker um, over the long term as opposed to just pushing something small out in the market that then you have to go fix. Thanks. Uh, so automation is a hot topic these days in lending. Um, how do you balance automation between sort of, there's a little bit of an increasing desire, I think, nowadays to have that human element, though, as well for people who need it. Um, how do you figure out when to use self-service tools, chatbots, and when there needs to be a person involved? Uh, yeah, I'll take that one to start with. So, um, I mean, we're not a SaaS business, we're a customer business, but uh, one of the phrases I love is, you know, SaaS is software as a service, right? And the service piece is almost entirely gone, right? So, uh, especially our customers, um, you know, one of the things I love about doing customer development is, uh, like, I remember going and sitting in one of our partner banks in Mexico, and um, people are there chatting with the teller because they love the relational aspect of it, and it provides comfort and trust. 
they're like, they'll just, they're coming to the bank to talk to folks and they want to do things in person and talking. So for us, what we try to do is we attempt to look at um, from the customer's eyes, when do they want to talk to somebody and when do they not want to talk to somebody? And when do they think they want to talk to somebody, but the data actually says otherwise. So you've got to bring in the quantitative aspect of things where understanding like, well, the customer says this, but what they really mean is this. So we attempt to, you know, essentially catalog the um, components of the product. The, the other thing is that um, I think that there's an element here where um, uh, you have to be proactive about when the customer wants to talk to you and think about that as an asset. And then on the flip side is that um, customer contact can be um, evidence of a defect right? There's a defect in the product that causes the customer to contact you. There's a defect in the workflow. There's a defect in the understanding of how they're coming in to use this thing, and it causes them to contact you. So just being absolutely vigilant and having very high standards about understanding when it's a defect versus when it's a, a, an asset for us to build something in that can create um, a really delightful customer experience. I want to turn to a question from the audience for a minute. Um, they're asking um, about when do you use data for um, from payroll and, and other alternative data um, beyond credit scores, right? How are you thinking about that? Uh, yes, this is a great question. Uh, I don't know if anybody was in the, the Tomo credit um, one earlier. There's a lot of folks that kind of talk about this. There's a, there's a very common use case out there with um, immigrants in particular, which is like an immigrant comes into this country uh, and, and they may have zero credit visibility for a while, right? They could be very high earning. They could be low earning, right? But there's almost no visibility into the credit score, right? And so with asset-based credit underwriting, right, people are looking for a FICO score. They don't have it. And so everyone's kind of like looked over and said, yeah, we need to do other things besides just FICO-based underwriting and things like that. And, and honestly, there's not that many people doing it at that much scale. There's very little like real cash flow. I bet if you took a look at 100% of the loans made in the last 12 months to customers and looked at the percentage of those that were actually cash flow underwritten, I don't actually have this data, but my guess is it's single-digit percentages. Um, but what we have to do, what I think we need to do is actually look at like how do we break down and think about it from the customer aspect, um, that part too. And then, of course, you know, you integrate with other data sources and use your own where you have them and buy where you don't and build a really phenomenal data science team that can figure these things out um, to be able to provide better products to our customers that way. And Eddie, I would imagine that also requires a flexible platform, right, as you look at new ways to, to parse the data, right, and, and new approaches using AI and ML and other tools. Yeah, we um, uh, at Peach like we decided like not to be part of the, like the underwriting and origination because as we mentioned like uh, underwriting and origination is very vertical oriented. So to make a good underwriting decision, like you better know who you're giving the money to. So that's where like I think like fintechs like and should be doing their job. As I mentioned, uh, as part of the other question, what we do is we do deploy a lot of, of the learning and post like origination when it comes to collections, uh, sophistication, like how you contact the customer when you contact them, etc. And this is also part of the le learning experience that that's the data that we eventually provide also to back to like the, the, the lenders and our clients who eventually use the data in the repeat underwriting, for example, because if you have a customer who is performing well, you're willing to increase the credit limit. And there's a lot of ways how we can slice and dice data, like this is not a data science exercise, but as long as you make all this data available and clean back to lenders, that's where they can 
utilize it. Yeah, and I think one of the other mistakes that um, folks have made, and hopefully we're not going to be making, is essentially leaving all those data in individual silos throughout the entire funnel. So you've got a funnel that starts up at product, and and you know hopefully doesn't go to collections, but there's collections involved there too. And so actually having a robust view of the data across all of those different aspects of the funnel ends up becoming material in terms of being able to make decisions about good customers and customers that you think might be fraudulent or um, you know credit lines and things like that. And then you know obviously you have to be careful about which ones of those you can actually use in a specific underwriting example, but it doesn't mean that you can't use the data to understand the customer holistically. Um, another question from the audience. Um, what are your best practices for testing your lending products in a compliant way? Uh, I'll take this question. So, uh, I think that first of all, you need to be on the platform that is compliant. And uh, that's one of differentiated when we like we're building pitches, like to make sure like we put compliance first. So whenever like you launching a product with, like, with our platform, you're like compliant, like from servicing and collection standpoint, right? So uh, first of all, be on compliant platform, right? Or if you're building in in-house, you can think about compliance, just don't think it as, as aftermath. So now when, you, when you're basically testing it, um, what we do recommend to people is like to make sure that the new product spec or the changes they want to make is you have legal and compliance if you don't have in-house, take outside counsel, right? They will basically like at least help you to think about some of the items that you are not aware of. So what we do with a lot of our clients is we basically helping them to think about those issues. We are not providing them legal compliance like uh, official like, but we have a lot of operational experience on our platform. That's where like we, we, we basically helping them to think about these issues. And anything that is basically non-compliant, pretty much, you probably should not test. Like, it's, it's very simple, because even if it's successful, if it's not compliant, you cannot really scale it, so it doesn't really, ma it, it doesn't really help you. So that, that's basically what we recommend people doing, like, you know, get compliance legal advice, because product can build anything you guys want, but the, the complexity is like compliant product. product. You're looking at me like there. Uh, if my general counsel was in the room, <laughs> she'd be like, "Shut up, John. Do not talk." No, I think it's just because you ask ten lawyers, you know, what they think about how to do this. You're going to get ten different answers. I can tell you some of the the safer things that we know, right? Which is some of the safer things that we know is that if you actually launch a product, like a compliant product, and actually get the product out there, that that is one of the safer paths that you can take. Um, if you do kind of some of the other startupy things, where um, it's uh, like fake products and things like that specifically in the lending space that's pretty that's you know that's getting to the dicey area um, and so uh, I really like some of the safer ways to do it actually get the products all the way out there but that's expensive and slow to get products all the way out into the market into customers hands um, but but I think that if you're able to do that that is the that is the safest way to do it We've only got a couple of minutes left, so I'd like to ask you guys to close just by taking a look ahead. Um, what innovations in lending are you most excited about in the year ahead, two years ahead? Ooh. Um, <clears throat> so I think like from, from, from like our perspective like is we are excited because finally there is like enough vendors like in the market that allow you to launch innovative products. Like before, like we see it a lot, like people were limited by the platform. And I mean, one of the reasons why we build our company is to let it free, like people like should be innovative as long as compliance, like 
platform should not be their blocker. So we are already seeing a lot of innovative products from our like clients, and we will see more of them as they become more mainstream. So this is like you see a lot of innovations like in specific vertical that eventually will become the norm. So there is uh, that's kind of like number one, but that's come also like the customer experience. We are super excited because now like you can empower customers to do a lot of things themselves as self-service, and that's basically empowering the customers and putting it like in a drive seat. And there is obviously different type of like uh, products that becoming more like mainstream, like buy now pay later, for example. No, buy now pay later is not dead. Like it's just it's just rolling out. You need to do it right. So we see a lot of innovation in this taking this type of concept and applying it different like type of markets and different like uh, uh, like markets and, and different type of verticals. That's super exciting because there is just so much there that you can innovate with this uh, products. That's that's kind of like on trend. And my my um, answer is going to be fairly focused on our immigrant customer segment, mm -hmm. which is um, we love kind of uh, historically we've seen the financial industry kind of create products based out of the structures of a regulatory environment. Like we're going to offer this product because this is how it's kind of structured generally. Um, and again, that's like gets to like the, the cash flow underwriting type of thing and the versus the FICO underwriting type of thing. You know, our customers actually come to things from a pretty different viewpoint. So we like to look at things through that angle. And I'll give you an example, which is like a lot of our customers have shared finances in certain ways. They might even have shared finances across borders. In the United States, we have an incredibly individual view of accounts, right? Now, there's legal structures there that are important and that we'll absolutely um, abide by. But it doesn't mean that there's no creativity allowed in terms of um, how do we think about providing shared access to funds? Or how do we think about this the way that the customer uses their money, not the way that the industry needs you know, something to work based on the systems or the um, structures that are already there. So the innovations that I'm really excited about are things where we take a look at that and we say, all right, let's do this from a customer perspective. And then you, you come up with all kinds of pretty interesting things that get pretty different from the way that they've been offered in the past. Even if they don't look hugely different, they may feel that way to customers. That's great. Eddie, John, thank you. Thank all of you for coming. Good job, 5 p.m. crowd. Yeah. You're awesome.